Welcome to the Get Healthier Podcast with Rena Jadhav, who's on a quest to uncover breakthroughs and cures in living longer, healthier, and happier. Genetic testing, stem cells, rattling, talking to Silicon Valley geniuses and the best doctors in the world about the hottest products and programs to make you live an amazingly joyful life. Are you ready? Now, here's your host, Rena. Welcome to a very exciting episode today on the Healthier Podcast. We're talking about a new disruptive way to get rid of your pain. I am super excited to welcome today's guest, Brendan Lundberg. A little bit of background. He is a previous chronic pain sufferer, which explains why he probably wrote the book, although we're going to get into that in a moment. He is the co-founder of Radiant Pain Relief Centers, along with David Farley, an MD from Harvard MIT, um, who's a physician. Together, their vision has been to build the safest, most consistently effective and appealing solution to the epidemic of chronic pain. Now, of course, we all know about the opioid crisis. It's been in the news. And so I'm actually super excited to have Brendan share with us how someone who's dealing with um, sort of addiction to painkillers can transition off of them as well. Brendan and Dr. David Farley opened Radiant Pain Relief Centers in Portland, Oregon in 2014. And they've been hugely successful, some, some great results, and I cannot wait to dive right in. So Brendan, welcome again, and tell us, why did you write this book? What inspired you? Um, well, I wrote the book to evangelize a message, to share a message of hope, and really a, a message of new science. Um, the scientific understanding of pain has changed significantly in recent years, in the last five to maybe 10 years. But many, both in the medical profession and certainly at the consumer level, don't, haven't been taught that science. We, you know, we experience pain. It's, it's, a, it's a human. I mean, we come into the world creating pain. And it's something that we experience throughout our entire lives. And so uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, it's a huge problem in the United States, chronic pain. 100 million Americans suffer with chronic pain, which is more than cancer, diabetes, and cardiovascular disease combined. And similar numbers exist throughout the world. As you mentioned last year, you know, 72,000 people died of opioid overdoses mm-hmm. of, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people are addicted to these medications or, or at least having their lives disrupted because of it. So I wrote, I wrote the book to, to share a message of hope and of science and to help evangelize our message in the therapy that we're, we're trying to build, uh, make available to more people. Now, you know, before we dive into the book itself, could you share with everyone who's not familiar with Radiant Relief and your technology, what exactly is the technology itself? And then, of course, we're going to dive into the different chapters and go far greater depth into them. Yeah. So uh, in order to understand the technology, it's important to understand the science just in high level. Mm-hmm. And that, is that even though we don't experience pain this way, all pain actually comes from the brain, not from the tissue in the, in the area that we hurt. Um, pain is a protective function in the short term. You know, when you have a, an acute injury or you have disease pathology growing in your tissue, that pain experience is to get our attention and to trigger us to take action. Oftentimes that action is very clear. Stop doing what you're doing. You're hurting yourself or take your hand off the hot stove or you've broken your ankle or go see, seek a doctor because something's not right in your, you know, in your tissues. And so it's clear, but in chronic pain, it becomes less clear. And what happens essentially is that the brain becomes habitualized or it becomes wired to expect the pain. This is not when I say the brain, it's not in our frontal modern, you know, frontal cortex, our modern thinking brain. It's not something necessarily that, 
you know, we're willing into existence, at least not initially, uh, mm -hmm. at a deep reptilian brain, kind of ancestral brain level, you know, far below the conscious surface. But the pain basically becomes omnipresent, driven by the brain and experienced in the tissue. And most of the therapies that we've had available are only addressing the tissue or they're a drug that has impact the entire chemistry of the body and can result in side effects and risks. So understanding that science, and rather than just approaching it from a tissue level or giving somebody a drug, we use an FDA clear technology that allows us to retrain the brain through artificial nerve impulses, and essentially through neuroplasticity or the brain's ability to learn, restore the brain and then the body back to a more normal perception of pain to get relief that becomes lasting for almost all types of chronic pain without these complications and risks that we see with other therapies. Incredible. I can't wait to dive further into it. Yeah. Chapter one, which is a simple introduction to a complicated problem. So Brendan, tell us a little bit about this chapter. So let's start with what exactly is the complicated problem that you talk about in this chapter? Well, pain is very complicated because um, it's a, it's very, human. We all experience pain. We all have some level of understanding around it. Pain sufferers who have been in chronic pain physically often become more complicated because they don't move they're in, you know, in their worlds like they're supposed to, like their bodies are intended to do because they hurt. Their sleep is often compromised and disrupted, and that creates uh, other comorbidities or health complications. Most of the time, they're prescribed medications, which start to compromise digestion and nutritional absorption and elimination of waste uh, and maybe cognitive impairment. And so there's so many factors that play into the complicated world of a pain sufferer that make them, you know, a challenge. And, um, and, and unfortunately, the Western approach of just more drugs, you know, and then drugs to counteract the side effects of the drugs just compound that problem even further, right? So what I wanted to do is... is um, you know, recognize that, that this is, for many people, uh, an exceptionally complicated reality that they're living with and multifactorial, and, um, and then begin to plant the seeds that part of our ability to create a better solution uh, to this complicated problem is to start with our, with our thinking. And the opening quote is from the very talented and inspirational Louise Hayes. Mm -hmm. It says, I don't fix problems, I fix my thinking then problems fix themselves. And I think, I think that's kind of where it starts. It's like, let's, let's, let's step, let's honor the reality of it and let's start challenging our thinking a little bit of, around this. And we can't get, we're not going to get the same results by thinking the same way. Pain by itself is such a complicated experience because it isn't as simple as it hurts. Yeah. Um, there's a pathology to it. Now, have you noticed that it doesn't matter what that pathology is or whether it's pain from a broken foot that didn't heal right or arthritis or migraines or that, you know, excessive golf related pain mm -hmm. muscle, that the answer is still all pretty much the same? Or do you find that actually you have to approach pain differently depending on what created the pain in the first place? Uh, well, the answer to that question is yes and no. Uh, I mean, so obviously nothing is universally always the same, particularly when it comes to our very intricate and uh, amazing human bodies. Um, but we do know that all pain comes from the brain, not from the tissue, even though we experience it in the tissue. And so there is a commonality amongst almost all types of chronic pain that is neurogenic or brain driven. And, um, and even though we experience it in the tissue, or even though there maybe was a clear injury or trauma or stressor in the tissue that caused it to begin, when it becomes chronic, 
it really is a problem of the brain. And, and, and this is highlighted by, and there's been studies that have shown, you can take a high number of people who are asymptomatic. They don't have pain. And you could put them under MRI imaging, and you'll see a, a fairly high percentage of arthritis, herniated disc, torn meniscus, something like that. They don't know it because it doesn't hurt. You had made a, a comment in the opening segment about the fact that you do yoga, and obviously you're so focused on your health and on your well-being. And so you don't experience pain. But the truth is you may have had an injury at some point or done some damage to some tissue at some point, and it may still be there. It may, it may not have ever fully healed or the scar tissue doesn't, hasn't left it in optimal you know, physical form, but it's not bothering you, so it's not a problem. Conversely, you can take 1,000 pain sufferers, and there's been studies that have shown this, and image them where they hurt, and you don't see a correlated presentation of tissue abnormality. So it's, I think it's really important to understand that it really is a problem of the brain. And I think um, it's, it's always for us very sensitive in how we approach that and explain that to our clients because we don't want to minimize. It's a very real experience. It's not something that's fictitious to them. It's not something they've conjured in their mind and you know, created without some sort of um, you know, physical experience taking place to it as, you know, as well. So how we, how we explain the brain's involvement, I think, uh, is is very important. So chapter two, the complicated context of chronic pain. Tell us a little bit about the essence of this chapter. Well, this essence gets into some of the industry and experiential aspects to pain. So in, in the first chapter, we talk about the complicated world of it from an individualistic standpoint and how it complicates health and makes people more you know, more complicated on their, on their health journey. But in this chapter, I get into a little bit more the understanding of the drivers of the industry. Uh, I just attended a conference in, in um, San Diego, uh, JJ Virgin, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe some of your listeners know who she is, she's mm -hmm. a phenomenal individual, called Mindshare. It's a big summit that she puts on for healthcare professionals. And in that, we had Dr. Mark Hyman, uh, who maybe, maybe uh, many of your Yeah, I've interviewed him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great, great physician, head of the Cleveland Clinic's uh, functional medicine group, and a, and a U.S. Senator, senator from Ohio, Tim uh, Ryan. And those two gentlemen said, and it's very true, that industry, in terms of our nutritional understanding and our nutritional guidelines that we've had promoted to us for decades, was so heavily informed by industry that it changed the science. The same is true with pain because we all have pain. We all experience it. We feel like we have some level of understanding to it. And you know, going back to our primitive caveman days, we realized back then, our ancestors, that if, if we hurt, if we drink alcohol, or if we take opium, we can feel better in the short term. It's, it's diminishing that pain experience. And so industry, you know, the healthcare pain management industry really was kind of born out of this analgesic appro approach based upon chemical interventions that are not really much dissimilar to drinking alcohol or taking opium. I mean, opioids essentially are a synthetic derivative and similar mechanism as, as that. And then you have um, most physicians and clinicians in our country are trained in science from the 1960s, pain science from the 1960s. So, you know, they're ill-educated. And I know it's something that's important to you is, as I've gotten to know you and your message is to help educate people that as well-intentioned as our medical profession, professionals are, they're not omniscient. They don't know everything, right? I mean, they're, they, and exactly. sometimes, sometimes they're informed by old science, by their exactly. previous education, by peers, by marketing. I mean, you know, the pharmaceutical companies are great consumer marketers, but they're also equally great, you know, marketers to physicians, and they inform that education. And so 
pain has certainly been been done this way. And so what's happened is that the science of pain has changed so much in the last few years. We really now understand it to be a problem of the brain, but having that knowledge permeate, uh, you know, the, the medical world and to the consumers is, is a challenge, particularly when you have economic incentive to keep doing the things that we're doing and, and, and not thinking differently about that. So I, I, I thought, A, we opened the book talking about the complicated reality for the, from the pain sufferer standpoint, and then we have to look at the complicated reality from an industry standpoint, because until industry is able to change, the therapies aren't going to change. And industry, frankly, isn't going to change. And that's part of what we're doing in our business is to say, look, industry is not going to disrupt itself. Exactly. There's to too much money. There's too much, too much money at stake. Yeah. And so just like you know, other notable disruptors, Uber, uh, uh, Airbnb, uh, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. I mean, those, those disruptors came from outside of the space. It wasn't, it wasn't an endogenous exactly. transformation, right? And so the same is happening with Radiant. We're coming, even though my partner is a physician and I spent my career in healthcare, we're coming at this from a totally different perspective because we don't have the same obligations and you know, industry drivers that other healthcare settings do. So the two big takeaways from the chapters that we've done so far, to me anyway, are one, um, if you have pain, you have got to rethink your pain and the context of the pain, as well as your approach to pain. Because if, if we're not willing to, to rethink, A, why am I experiencing this? And B, that maybe my approach so far isn't correct, then the rest of the book isn't going to help you. So please take a moment debrief and go okay i'm going to be open-minded about this yeah and I'm, I'm i'm because if you don't i think you're gonna listen to everything and and go back to that same heavy duty painkiller you're on and nothing will change and my mission is that you at the end of this book master class you are able to transform yourself into a no pain life so well, yeah i mean i don't know if we'll ever have a totally no pain life it is part of the human experience and, absolutely and, but we don't like it right i mean we experience pain the first thing we want to do is do something to get out of it but it it is the master teacher i mean it's the reason that we're probably in our human bodies having these human experiences is so that we can learn that contrast between pain and joy and suffering and satisfaction and struggle and triumph. I mean, that's, that's why we're here. But I, I, what I hope to do is inspire people to say, let me think, as you say, let me think differently about this and not, not try to minimize it, but what is my body telling me? Why, in, in acute pain, when you have your hand on the hot stove or you broke your ankle, it's pretty clear what the body's telling you. In mm -hmm. chronic pain, it becomes a little less clear, but our nervous system, our brain, wants to keep us alive. It wants to get exactly. our And that pain experience exactly. is still a protective function. It may not be so clear black and white what that cause is. Later in the book, we'll talk a little bit about maybe a better, under, a better analogy or understanding around this. But yeah, don't, don't just take a pill and mask it. Like, yeah, I understand. Let's, let's minimize the pain. But there are other ways that we can shift that. And I think the first thing is having the appetite, the, you know, the bravery, the desire to think differently about the pain experience right from the very beginning. All right, let's move on to chapter three, the genesis birth and near death of a novel therapy. All right, tell us, tell us how it all started. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning, we use a technology that allows us to basically retrain the brain of the chronic pain sufferer through artificial nerve impulses, and then through neuroplasticity, restore the brain back to a more normal perception of pain. It's a, it's a, a beautiful piece of you know, medical technology and innovation. And because it's technology-based, it allows us to deliver therapy very consistently. However, because it runs contrary or at least outside of the, the, 
the pain education that most physicians have been taught and most clinicians have been taught, they don't understand it. And so this technology um, has been, uh, is already FDA cleared. It's been researched at the Mayo Clinic and Johns Hopkins University, very reputable institutions. Uh, my partner is a Harvard and MIT trained medical doctor, very reputable physician with great you know, academic uh, experience and integrity. But um, again, thinking, understanding the context, this technology sounds too good to be true when you know, clinicians are trained in, in antiquated or older science, and they're used to therapies that produce much less efficacious results and typically have some level of risk or side effect that's much greater than the therapy that we're doing. And so as I spent time trying to promote this technology, and other people did as well, most physicians or clinicians said, this sounds too good to be true. I don't understand it. Therefore, it's snake oil. Therefore, okay. you're wasting my time. Therefore, leave my office. You know, they, they wouldn't really even have an open mind to say, wow, let me, let me get into this because it was so far out of the paradigm of, of, their, of their ingrained institutional thinking. The other thing is, and I think this is important too, is you know, physicians and in healthcare industry, it's all about uh, replication, placebo control, you know, double-blinded studies, longitudinal outcomes, like yeah. really having the rigor in the study. And that, that is certainly important, particularly for invasive things like a drug that's going in the body or something that's cutting, <laughs> cutting us open. But this therapy... Uh, is is a little bit technician dependent, you know, and that's right. because there's a bit of an art to its application where we apply the electrodes on the skin, you know, the communication process with the client, setting the right expectation. It's a very interpersonal kind of dynamic experience. And so there is a level of expertise that's required in that delivery. And that's hard to replicate in a study, right? So, so between that and the limited amount of capital that the former licensee for the technology had to be able to fund studies, there hasn't been a tremendous, you know, tremendous amount of overwhelming evidence that's enough to help shift understanding and open, you know, open doors and minds amongst the establishment. So consequently, it, it's been ignored. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of what's happened. It's, so this technology, which has the ability to really help a lot of people has just not been, not been well understood to date. And then economically, there's a disincentive, as we talked about previously, exactly. to go away from the things that we're doing now because insurance exactly. is paying for them. So the consumer will opt for the insurance coverage exactly. therapy, even if it's not as safe or as effective. Exactly. And the doctors will continue to promote them because they get paid in some way for them. Which is why it's so important for the consumer to take charge of their own pain and their own well-being and then look at technologies like these. Brendan, share a little bit about the genesis of the technology itself. Yeah. How did it come about? Well, the inventor is a, um, a biophysicist from Italy named Giuseppe Maraneo, and obviously a really brilliant individual to have created something like this. And it's really interesting because um, the evolution, the development of this technology really runs parallel to the neuroscience, you know, the modern pain science, which is really neuroscience, uh, that's been evolving. And most of that has come out of, out of, not out of the United States, actually, even. It's mostly from Australia. Researchers like Lorimer Mosley and Adrian Lowe and David Butler, um, you know, there's other, even, you know, even just beyond pain, our understanding about the brain has really evolved so much in the last few years and our understanding about neuroplasticity. My medical partner, Dr. Farley, uh, again, Harvard and MIT trained physician, he told me that you know, they were taught in medical school that the brain it, it doesn't stay plastic forever, like it loses its ability to learn. And that's actually not true. We now know mm -hmm. that an old person, their brain is still very plastic Absolutely. as well. It's just that they don't give new novel information to challenge exactly. the brain, right? And so exactly. also the brain 
can generate new sales cells. We didn't know that that was possible either. And so our understanding and our enlightenment about the brain is really, you know, it's, it's very an exciting time. But, but so Professor Maraneo developed this technology. He fairly quickly immediately licensed it to a technology, you know, technology marketing company and they got it FDA cleared, but then not much ha has happened. And so mm. it, you know, it's been lost in obscurity. And I realized like, after having spent time trying to sell this therapy that it, it wasn't a matter of efficacy. It really does work remarkably well, but it's a matter of how it's being commercialized. Mm. And so previously in my life, I'd spent about a decade in the hearing aid industry and hearing aids, very sexy, <laughs> very sexy <laughs> industry, right? But hearing aids are not covered by insurance generally, and they're not inexpensive. It's you know about a $7,000 kind of average sell price mm -hmm. purchase. And I thought, well, heck, if people are going to spend yeah. $7,000 for hearing loss, they're certainly willing to spend some money out of pocket to get out of pain if this really works. And so I began to think differently about how do we, you know, frame it. And we'll talk more about that probably later on. But, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's important, again, question our, question our thinking, question our experience. And there's probably many, many other therapies out there that are very safe and effective that haven't seen the light of day because, you know, the industry around them hasn't supported it. All right, chapter four, a vision and model for disruption. Tell us a little bit about the essence of that chapter. What disruption do you envision? Well, uh, my goal is to change fundamentally how we understand and how we treat chronic pain in our country and throughout the world. Um, and, and, you know, that is uh, a not an easy task to do because, you know, as we've talked about, there's such institutional ingrainment around certain therapies. The drug companies are obviously one of the most significant um, players in, in the healthcare industry. And so, so changing that is not an easy task to do. Um, and uh, I mentioned this a little bit in the, in the last chapter, but um, seeing that this therapy really worked very effectively, but realizing it was really about how do we bring it to market in the right way? Um, I spent a lot of time really kind of thinking about, okay, if it works, what are the ways that we can model the business so that we can make it accessible, affordable, scalable, and mm -hmm. really help and really help make it uh, effective. And so, um, that that vision started with you know the idea that people spend money for a variety of things hearing aids in particular um and and they're willing to spend money to get out of pain if this therapy really works and so i built a, a really just i guess a different business concept which is a direct-to-consumer business around this technology and because i wasn't trying to integrate it into an existing world of healthcare with you know economic drivers and operating structures i was able to think from a blank slate Mm. And to say, what, what is the business structure and what is the delivery model that's going to give the best chance for the best results and the best experience to our clients? And so it allowed us to, to think totally, uh, you know, novelly, totally, you know, fresh with fresh, idea, fresh eyes about yeah. how do we build this. And so that, that vision, you know, the, the business model is done, is built specifically to deliver this care in the most effective way to make it accessible to make it affordable and then to, to create the foundation upon which we can really scale and, and build a business and and what does that look like today so as i understand you've got a center in or oregon is that correct portland yeah, a couple pilot centers in oregon and um we've just uh well, again probably talk about this a little bit later but you know we're in the process of raising capital for this so that we can expand it and grow it the, okay. the business model though is one center with four devices in that center because in that structure, we create from a business standpoint, a cost structure that's fixed and we're able to see a lot of clients through that, which means that we can keep the cost low, making it affordable and still have enough margin to be profitable as a company. 
Or you could just partner up with Starbucks and throw a bunch of machines in a corner and hey, you go in the morning, you get your coffee and you get your pain relief. Yeah, exactly. Right well, before you go to work. You know, Starbucks is a, I love the Starbucks story. Uh, I live in Oregon and we have um, awesome coffees up here. So I don't always drink Starbucks coffee. We have so many great local roasters and things. But, um, but Starbucks changed fundamentally how we think about coffee. They Absolutely. changed what we're willing to spend for it. They created yeah. a whole experience around it. And yeah. they didn't do that by selling a better coffee product to the local diner and having the diner sell it. They created the experience. And that's exactly what we're intending to do with Radiant Pain Relief Centers. And, and that's why I wrote the book in part two is because opening clinics, you know, takes hiring people and training them yeah. and building the center. That, that's not an overnight process, but we can start the messaging and start setting the expectation now. All right, chapter five, Brandon, the safest, most consistently effective and appealing solution to the epidemic of chronic pain. Unveil it for us already. Tell us, yeah. what is it? Well, uh, we do a few things, but obviously the, the key focus, which we've kind of talked about in this book, is using a technology, an FDA clear technology, that allows us to retrain the brain and restore it back to a more normal perception of pain rather than just masking it at the tissue level. So the way that the technology works and, um, and I'll talk a little bit more about our, our care model as well, because it really is, like I mentioned before, it's, it's built and designed to create the best chance for successful experience and outcomes for our clients. But the way the technology works, essentially it acts like an artificial nerve and it generates a dynamic set or a changing set of artificial nerve impulses that more or less mimic, they're kind of a replica of what exists in us naturally when we don't have chronic pain. Essentially, it's a, a healthy no pain nerve signal or something that's very akin to that, that Professor Maraneo is able to basically create um, you know, these replications, these algorithms that replicate this, you know, these nerve um, signals. So we, we identify with the client where their pain is, and we actually attach electrodes outside of the pain but in proximity to the painful area. So just for example, if it's the hand that hurts, it could be almost anything. Going back to your question earlier, it can be arthritis, it can be um, neuropathy, it could be shingles pain. It almost really doesn't matter. And um, again, if it's chronic, it's a, it's a problem with the brain. So we attach electrodes on the skin, typically, again, in proximity. So it'd be in the, on the arm or on the back, someplace between the pain site and the spine and hop in line between where the brain is and where the pain is felt and, trans and basically hop in line and send up new information through the nervous system. The brain you know, receives it, interprets it as a self-message and almost immediately begins to reduce the pain experience in the body. And then because the messaging is dynamic and changing, the brain has to work to interpret this and to understand it. And essentially this is what triggers and drives the neuroplastic change and um, through repetition and exposure. So in the first session, which we give for free, we can typically get a noticeable level of relief. But the process of changing the brain, like anything the brain is learning, how to ride a bicycle, how to speak Spanish, you know, you know algebra, it's a, it's a process of repetition and exposure. So typically the client experience will be a daily session for about an hour, about 40 minutes on the device, but about an hour of their time every day, Monday through Friday for two or three weeks. As they come through that process, their pain experience typically gets less and less with longer and longer duration of relief until sometime typically around the second to third week, the brain is really locked onto this new uh, messaging and it's created new neural pathways. And the relief then becomes what we call durable or lasting for weeks or months. And in some cases, even indefinite at that point. But the expectation that we set for our clients is they'll need to come back in periodically 
for a booster course, like a, or a booster treatment, like a refresher course. If you don't practice your algebra or your Spanish, you begin to forget it. And so <laughs> the, the brain will go back to those old pain wirings, if they, you know, those neural pathways, uh, if, if we don't kind of reinforce that in many cases. So we set the expectation and we sell our therapy on an annual membership so that clients can have access to it as they need it throughout the year. And even though they may be in there every day for the first few weeks, we can, if they sign up for it and pay it on, on the annual membership, they can push that cost out over the year, making it much more affordable to them. And as I mentioned, on average, it's about 10 bucks a day uh, when you, you know, average it across the year's time. And so when you think of it in those terms, even though it doesn't have insurance coverage to get your life back and to get functioning to get a higher level is, is very much worth it. So it is an annual membership. You don't do it. You don't set it up as a monthly subscription plan or a quarterly plan. It is you are asking for an annual commitment up front. Yeah, but, um, but most of the time, the clients are very fine with that. We give the first treatment for free. You know, we work with them, and they, they see the value. And we also tell them, look, we, one of our core values is doing the right thing. And so we look at doing the right thing as two things. Number one, doing everything we can to get you to start, to help you get started, because it's really in that process that you're going to see the benefit. Second, secondarily, though, is if you aren't seeing that progress, the, the membership price includes um, 20 sessions and additional sessions can be purchased while they're on the membership for only $35 a session. So it's negligible, you know, fairly inexpensive cost if they need additional treatments beyond 20. But we'll say, look, we'll work with you for those first 20 sessions, and if we don't see a noticeable improvement, we'll let you out of the membership, and we just retain a very Got small of that cost. And, and what and, are the prices? Let's, let's actually dive into the actual numbers themselves. Yeah. Well, when we started, to your point, like, we didn't know exactly how to, how to package this and how to price it. And so we, would, we had two options, pay each time you come in, and the price that we realized we kind of needed to be at from a business standpoint was about $250 a session. So that can add up. So mm -hmm. we realized, well, if we can sell a package of 10, because we knew it was a process of ongoing, we sold a package of 10 for $2,000, so a 20% discount. And most patients, that, especially after the first free treatment, are like, wow, this is great. I'm willing to spend you know, $2,000 to try to get my, my pain contained and get my life back. And um, so we sold a lot of packages of 10 treatments early on. But what we found is that 10 became the magic number in somebody's mind, <laughs> right? And if they got better before 10, they're like, well, what about these other ones? I paid for 10. Do, do I get a refund? And we'll say, well, you probably need them in the future for a booster. So let's bank them. Or they needed more than 10. And then they're like, well, I thought 10 was going to solve my pain. And if 10 was the right number for them, then they would go up back living their life and they would delay coming back in for a booster because they didn't want to buy another package of 10 or start right. each one. So with the membership, what it's done is it improved our outcomes because people just can access it when they need it. And it allows us to push that cost out over an entire year's time, making it much more affordable to, to everybody. So that's why we've modeled that way. It's $3,500 is how we have it priced for the annual membership. Again, that includes 20 sessions. And you think, well, $3,500 for a lot of people is a lot of money. It is, you know, I fully recognize that, but uh, I can tell you that most of our clients tell us it's the best investment they've ever made. And, you know, again, breaking it into monthly payments, it's fairly affordable. And if you divide $3,500 by 365 days, it's about $10, $10 a day. So, you know, you start thinking in those terms and, you know, the option to opt out after the, you know, the first few weeks, if you really aren't seeing improvement, which rarely happens. I mean, our clients are typically so ecstatic about the response they're getting that's it's pretty clear that it's the right decision. A very exciting opportunity, clearly, for a lot of people. Um, but, you know, as I listen to you, it's obvious to me that it's not going to work for everyone with all kinds of pain. It's going to very specifically work for those. 
where pain is becoming a quality of life issue. Meaning if I can mm -hmm. pop an aspirin and get rid of it, I'm not mm -hmm. investing in right. this. Right. Um, yeah. This is for people where aspirin isn't doing it. Or I've, to your point now, I've ended up in this opioid crisis issue where I'm like downing mm -hmm. them by the dozen. Yeah. And it's starting to have side effects. And so. Yeah. Most of our clients have been in pain for years or decades and they, right. they, have, they have tried it, tried everything in their mind. And, and there is some level of significant disruption to their life. And I can mm -hmm. think of, you know, if you go to our website and, you know, we only use actual clients, no stock imagery. And we have phenomenal stories of life reclaimed and it's a beautiful thing to be a part of and mm -hmm. something that we're very intentional about how do we now that we've opened this door back to health what do we do to help somebody go you know improve somebody was just saying it's kind of like they've been in prison and i'm like yeah, yeah they've been trapped in their bodies and so we've released them from prison but we have to rehabilitate them into a into a world that's back to normal so they can function in it. and so you know later we'll talk about that but um you know i can think of one guy in particular he broke minor injury, broke a bone in his foot. It was misdiagnosed. It didn't heal properly. He was given medications and prescribed, you know, physical rehab. Those things didn't really resolve his pain. He just kept getting more and more dosing of medications. They tried injections, mm. a series of different injections. Those didn't resolve his pain. He was then, um, um, operated on his foot, trying to correct whatever, you know, you know, perceived pathology or, or real pathology issues they thought were happening. That didn't resolve the pain. He then was um, given a spinal cord stimulator. So this is an implanted medical device that stimulates the, the spine and the nerves, invasive procedure. Um, and they implant you know, the device aspect of it into the buttocks of the body. They didn't implant it into the buttocks in the trial, they just put it into the spine oh, and geez. then see how he does. And so he didn't respond from that. And so now he's like, what do I do? And so he realized he was addicted to opioids. He put himself through rehab and went through this whole hassle and was just so discouraged. He finally fed up. This is now after probably six, seven, eight years of this, went to his doctors and said, I can't live with this pain in my leg. I want you to amputate my leg. Okay. So he elected, he chose to have his leg amputated. The poor guy, they chop his leg off. It doesn't resolve the pain because it's really not about the tissue. It's a problem of the brain. And so um, now he's, you know, he, he tells us now retroact retrospectively that he was at this point very, you know, suicidal because it's like, what do you do when your body has betrayed you so much and nothing is resolving this? Fortunately, he didn't take his life. He was able to come in to see us. We restored him back to a, a really normal level of function. And he tells his story and you just get so emotional, you know, being mm -hmm. able to play with his grandkids and have his life back. And that's a dramatic example, but it's not unlike what we see. But you're right. I mean, some of that has, you know, a periodic, you know, sore muscle from playing tennis isn't going to come in here or something that's not, you know, not significant. And it, we model the business to get people thinking about their why, because sometimes they've, they've become distracted from distance, I guess is a better word, distance from who they really are, like the things that bring them joy and productivity and connection. And we want them thinking about those things because if they've lost those things because of pain, those are the people that we really want to help. And I would think that athletes would be a great target audience as well, professional athletes. Yeah, They're send just them our way. Yeah, <laughs> sounds good. Yeah, you, if you see um, Joe Montana, he doesn't make too many television appearances anymore. The poor guy can barely walk. You know, his body, and you know, all these professional athletes, they just, they push themselves so much. Their bodies after these careers, in many oh, cases, yeah. are, are crippled, right? And, you know, poor Joe is at a place, or if you see him, like, you know, he's, he's in tough shape. And yeah, I think that we can help a lot of people begin because just like 
just like anybody, if you start taking medications, there's going to be side effects inevitably. Your body's going to become tolerant to them. You have to keep up in your dosing. There's some disruption to sleep and function and cognitive impairment. And all of that snowballs and compounds and becomes very, very complicated for a lot of people. So those are the, those are the people we want to help. And to see them, you know, to be able to address like this, they come in this big complicated bundle of, uh, you know, conditions and to be able to extract out a key component of this, probably the initial component in many cases, which is the pain, get them feeling better. They can then get off of medications. They, you know, and they want to. I mean, that's one of their goals many times is to reduce or eliminate the medication loads they're on. And as they do that, they start to feel better globally. They become, you know, they become different people again. And it's a really beautiful thing to be a part of that. All right. Chapter six, the challenge of challenging the status quo. Um, wow. You've had a long journey, long, tough journey of trying to challenge the status quo. So tell us a little bit about all these challenges that you face and what is the essence of this chapter? Well, this essence, um, you know, this book is obviously telling our, our story, painting a picture of what we intend to do with our business to change the way that chronic pain is understood and how it's treated. But, you know, um, disruption, building something that sounds too good to be true, building something that's outside of the confines of what we're used to institutionally and, uh, and the, what's been promoted, you know, financially is a hard thing to do. And anytime you're doing something that nobody else is doing or has done, either you're an idiot, frankly, because there's not a market, you're just, you're, you're creating <laughs> uh-huh. something that doesn't exist, or you're going as a Wayne Gretzky quote, you know, you're, you're skating to where the puck is going to be. And I think that that's what we're doing because we see a hundred million Americans and the numbers growing in pain. We see way too many people's lives disrupted because of opioids. Everybody knows we need a better solution, but as I talked about before, industry itself is not going to, to change that. So we we feel, I personally feel both a tremendous amount of opportunity, responsibility, and privilege to be able to advance something that is so amazing at helping people get their lives back. But that's a hard process to do. You know, you have to raise money. You have, you have to convince a lot of people that you really have something. And until it becomes kind of socially proven and, and understood, you seem like you're a whack job out there trying to, <laughs> trying to do something that sounds too good to be true or whatever. So it's been a hard road. I mean, finding capital, um, you know, I don't know how many of your listeners care about this kind of stuff, but it's an important consideration, I think, is that, um, you know, raising money is not like you see on Shark Tank. It's not easy to do. It's a, it's a grueling, hard process in many cases. And um, investors want proof that it's going to work. They don't want to risk their hard-earned money, you know, in something. And so, you know, finding the right capital mix is an important and challenging aspect to what we do. And, you know, having clinicians and medical professionals tell us that, you know, it's, uh, it's snake oil or it's too good to be true or it's placebo or whatever. I mean, it, you know, we've had a lot of uphill battle, but we keep fighting that uphill battle uh, and we always will because of the outcomes that we see in our clients' lives and seeing them get, get, get back to that. And so it's, it, I talk about it in the book and I try to keep it very you know, simple to understand, but because our clients go through a similar journey, they have to fight. They have to fight to reclaim their lives. And, and you know, so we honor the fight. We don't go away from it. We don't shriek from it. We say, look, it's part of this process of building something that's new and better and safer is that we're going to have an uphill battle doing it. And so we can complain about that or we can embrace it. And we really consciously try to embrace that struggle in that process as much as possible. All right. Chapter seven, the future of chronic pain management. Tell us a little bit about how do you see the future of chronic pain management unfolding? 
Well, uh, I believe that we are going to be able to significantly change how pain is understood and how it's treated and create kind of a social shift around this. Um, because 100 million people have chronic pain, because you know hundreds of thousands, if not millions, are disrupted because of opioids or other medications or other therapies that aren't doing an effective job, this is really a relevant problem to all of us in society. Whether or not we suffer from chronic pain, there's a good chance that somebody in our family, in our circles, is dealing with this, right? So, you know, the ability to create uh, inroads and to, you know, to touch the lives of so many people is, this, is an important part of what we're doing. And as I talked about before, not just masking the pain, but helping people create a different relationship to their pain, a different level of understanding, and a safer result through our therapy, you know, getting their lives back. So what we're modeling this, the way that I look at this in the future, and I don't talk about this all the time, but I, I think it's, it's, it's exciting to me, is to not just ease suffering, but you know, do that obviously on a significant scale, reduce people's suffering that's happening way too much, but simultaneously educate them and empower them with the tools and with the motivation and with the internal kind of like fire being relit in their own lives to say, if my pain can be reduced so much by changing my brain, what else am I capable of? And they become empowered. They become motivated. They lose weight. They start addressing their sleep behaviors and, and patterns. They start wanting to eat better. They start moving better. They start changing their mindset. They start to invest in themselves. They start to reconnect back to the things and the people that make them feel fully alive and fully vibrant. And that's what excites me the most. And I hope the future of healthcare, the future of chronic pain management is this model, not just masking the pain, hoping it goes away, but really getting somebody educated about it. We didn't talk about the analogy that I make in the book, which is that, that pain, chronic pain is really more like credit card debt. It's not a one-to-one -one experience ratio. There's an accumulation of events. So if I, if I give you a credit card with $3,000 limit, and you start using that credit card to buy gas and groceries and school supplies for the kids. As long as you pay the bank the minimum payment every month, everybody's happy, right? The bank is getting paid and you have access to this that's credit. That's right. But, and that's kind of what happens in our nervous system. We have all these different events that are taking place. The nervous system's kind of keeping track of them. But if there's an event that puts us over the tipping point, so in the credit card analogy, let's say the car breaks down and you need to buy a new transmission for $1,700, but you only have $1,500 of available credit on your credit card, metaphorically, this is a painful experience because you have this big bill, now you have over limit fees, and if you were relying upon that credit card to buy gas, to get to work, or to buy food for your kids, or to keep your utility paid, because you don't get your paycheck for another week and a half, then the impact of what this is costing you is made even worse. And so the, the nervous system's job is to keep us alive. So it's taking a, a basically a, a deep subconscious record of everything that it perceives as a threat to our ability to stay alive, like a, like a charge to an account. And for whatever reason, we have different levels of threat debt tolerance and threat accumulation rates. And so for some reason, when somebody goes into a chronic pain phase, it's like they're at that credit card limit. And mm. even normal sensory experience, like a touch, or walking or sleeping, things that shouldn't cause pain, all of a sudden just start to be interpreted as a, as a threat or as a pain experience. And so we think of it, oh, it's because of this event that I'm in pain. Well, yes, that was maybe the tipping point, but yeah. you, if you didn't have all this accumulation of you know, aggregation of threat events on your system, if you were processing those out health, you know, in a better way, this event would have been a minor thing and you would have healed from it and been back. So educating people you know, about this and then giving them the tools in which they can be empowered is, is so exciting and so fun to be a part of.
Absolutely. You're doing amazing things. And I wish you nothing but the hugest of successes because that mean, that would mean that uh, we've got a lot of people walking around pain-free out there. So Brandon, again, thank you so much. Um, for the rest of you, keep in mind, if you're listening to this as a podcast, there is a video as well that you can check out on healthbootcamps.com. We are going to have show notes. So you can check out on the show notes, the link to the site, you can click and buy the book, um, which of course has a lot more details than what we reviewed today. And over the last few uh, video interviews that we did for the book masterclass, share. You know, I'm sure you know lots of people out there that have pain. And wouldn't it be great if you could help your loved ones deal with pain as well, not just yourself. And Brandon, again, thank you so much. Brandon, thank you. It's been an honor. That's a wrap. Share your love with a five-star review and get show notes at healthbootcamps.com. Connect with us on Health Bootcamps Facebook and Twitter. Also, don't forget to check out other great interviews and subscribe to the Get Healthier podcast today.